Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. That's found on page 851, if you're following along in your pew Bible. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in the darkness have seen the great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wish you all the happiest of Father's Days and uh, hope that you are able, if your father is still living, to uh, share some appreciation, some respect uh, to that man. If you are a father, thank you for being here today and uh, continuing to strive to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Fathers are absolutely vital to everything good in life. And uh, our culture does not respect fatherhood the way that it should, uh, but that respect is to be renewed in the church, and it is spread out from here. So I hope that you will make that a part of your life uh, to affirm what the Bible says about the very great importance of fatherhood. Fathers provide and preserve and protect everything that we hold dear, and without them, we will lose them all. So please keep those things in mind. Thank you, fathers for all that you're doing to strive to bring your children up in the faith. Also, happy Juneteenth. It's a day that should be celebrated tomorrow, celebrating the ending of slavery and the sharing of the freedom that this country was built upon uh, with all people here. And I hope that we can continue to have a free country, and let's pray to God that this country will continue to be uh, an environment in which, at the very least, every single person will be able to worship God with a clean conscience, because that is, of course, the most important freedom of all. Our series uh, is change, and the kind of change that we're talking about is the change that the Lord absolutely demands of every person who would be saved. It is the change that the Bible calls repentance. We've talked about the fact that for things to change in our world, things have to change in our inner world. And this absolutely is a fundamental of the faith, and it's something that Jesus came preaching from the very beginning of his ministry. And it is something that I want us to make sure that we all understand today, that it is absolutely 100% essential that you make the decision to repent in light of the gospel, and that you live a life that is in keeping with that decision. In other words, that if you just live the way that you've grown up, the way that 
uh, feels right to you as a person just doing the things that you, you personally think are right and the things that you want to do, if that's the way you're living your life, then you are not living your life in a way that is acceptable to Jesus. And if you want to live a life that is acceptable to Jesus, the kind of life that will lead to eternal life and glory with Him in the heavenly world, you must repent. You must repent of your sins. And you must embrace that change and continue to walk in it throughout your life. And I said that Jesus begins preaching the essentiality of repentance right from the beginning, but it even predates Him. Because the last of the Old Testament prophets, we might call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, is really the one that came and began to lay the foundation of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. He says to the Jews who were listening to him as he tried to prepare them for Christ in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I want you to think about what that phrase means. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, repentance is not just a decision you make at some point in time and then move on as if that transaction has been made and as if that's done. Repentance is a decision that must have observable characteristics in your life from that point forward. In other words, if you have changed your mind about the purpose of life and about what's important in life and what matters to you, that's got to change the way that you speak and the way that you act. And that change must be maintained over the long haul. He gives a warning here. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, as there were many of Jews in ancient Israel who were prone to do. We were descendants of Abraham. God has to accept us regardless of what we do and what we think. And of course, nothing could have been farther from the truth. And of course, in Christendom today, there are different mindsets about salvation that, that, that come from misunderstandings of the Word of God uh, that, have, that led some preachers and teachers to teach that, it, that once you accept Jesus into your heart, there's absolutely nothing that you ever have to do again and absolutely nothing that can cause you to fall away from His grace. And again, nothing could be farther from the truth. The lifestyle that is, that is uh, the characteristic of submitting to the authority of heaven, the kingdom of God, is one that is a lifestyle of ongoing repentance. That is, ongoing growth in our obedience to the will of Jesus. If you're not growing, you're dead. If you're not growing spiritually, you are at the very least spiritually dying. And then you need to put a, just an exclamation park on, uh, mark on that and do what you need to do to get things right. So we, we get to verse 10. Even now, John said, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. It's a warning, a clear warning. Every tree, that is every person, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Do I need to spell that out? Or is the implication there clear enough? I hope it's clear enough. And remember, the Scriptures cannot be broken. I suppose that most of us are familiar with Jesus' parable of the, uh, of, of the Pharisee and the publican, which is not Romans 2, 1 through 11, but it is the illustration you have there on the screen, in which Jesus tells about two men that came to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee, which, of course, represented the, uh, the, the most Bible-thumping, I mean the most Bible-knowledgeablest, I'm going to make up some words here, folks that existed in ancient Israel, the Pharisees were the Bible people in the ancient world. But this Pharisee came to the temple to pray to God, and he comes really close to the altar because he feels like he's got a right to be there, and he begins to look up to heaven and pray to God and to pray about a prayer of thanksgiving. 
thanksgiving to God. That's okay, right? Except what he thanks God about is how great he himself is, how superior he is to those that are around him. And even at one point in the prayer, he looks back over his shoulder and sees this publican that is a tax collector, a, a uh, compromiser with idolatrous Romans. That's the perspective the Jews had. So he was a traitor in their eyes. And so he looks back and sees this publican and he says, I thank you, I'm not like that guy. Well, Jesus then tells us what's going on in the heart of the publican, the tax collector, the sinner, the traitor, the one that everybody in Israel looked down on. He would not even approach the altar, but he stood back at a distance beating his breast and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus says, who do you think went away justified? It was the publican, not the Pharisee. And I think that that illustrates the principle that Paul is writing about in our passage here in Romans chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, the English, uh, I'm reading from the New King James rather. That's page 1000 in your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. You see, Paul has already laid the foundation of of holding the whole world accountable as sinful before God in Romans chapter 1. But he anticipates that some of the believers in Rome who were of Jewish ancestry are going to say, yeah, you gave it to those Gentiles real good, Paul, that's great. And they're not going to recognize that they need to hear it too. And that's what Paul turns his attention to in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? God has no patience with hypocrisy. Verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? We'll say more about that next week, Lord willing. Verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. You see that? Who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. I want to ask you a question. Are you patiently striving to move forward, upward and onward in your level of obedience to Jesus? If so, you are living the lifestyle of repentance that leads to eternal glory. But if you're not, you're storing up wrath for that day. God is getting angrier and angrier with you. And one day you will stand before him and face that wrath and it will not be pleasant but to those, verse 8, who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul. I just got to stop because this is not stuff that gets preached enough in 2023, I don't think. But I, I want you to hear what the Word of God is saying to us as an act of God's love because He wishes to warn us about that great day that is coming before it comes. Listen to what will befall those who do not persist Listen, who do not persist in faithfulness to God. Listen, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek 
for there is no partiality with God. No one will stand before God as an impenitent sinner or as a believer who turned away and embraced unfaithfulness and hear God say, oh, you're just too cute for me to judge. It is not going to work that way. Repentance is absolutely essential to your salvation. Paul makes this very clear when he was preaching on Mars Hill in Acts 17, beginning in verse 30. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, those Old Testament times in which the will of God had not been fully made known. He, He overlooked or winked at certain people's sins because of ignorance. But listen, now, ever since Christ has come, since he has established the church, since the apostolic preaching has gone out into the world, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because, again, the warning of judgment. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It doesn't matter really if you understand how science and the Bible work together. I think that's important, but it's not essential. It doesn't really matter if you understand deeply every single truth communicated in the Word of God. It doesn't matter if someone asks you why you believe in Jesus if you're not able to give some kind of intellectual answer. The fact of the matter is the tomb is empty. And that is an indisputable historical fact. That being the case, Jesus is Lord. And you do not need to know a single additional thing than that in order to give Him your life. And anyone who will not give him their lives will lose their lives on that day. Repentance is absolutely essential to your salvation. You want to hear it from the Lord's mouth himself. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5 in the ESV. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The common English Bible says, no, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just like they did. These are the warnings of Jesus, our Lord himself. And deep down, my brothers and sisters, I think we really all already know why. Although there are some who suppress the truth. But the truth is alive within our hearts. We read in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 9. In him, that is Jesus, that is the living word of God, was life. Listen, and the life was the light of mankind. Light is that which illuminates, which shows our pathway. And what is being uh, talked about here in John chapter 1 is the fact that truth, that knowledge of spiritual realities has been given by the will of Jesus to every single human being who has ever lived. In other words, folks used to say it this way. The old preachers used to say, everybody's got some light within them from the Lord. And commonly, philosophers would call that what we call natural law. Every human civilization that has ever existed and every single human being that ever has existed that, is, that has lived long enough to, to become intelligent enough aware enough of right and wrong, realizes deep within themselves that good and evil are realities. Who in the world does not know that evil is a real thing? Anybody that is living in the world today that denies the existence of evil is is suppressing the truth that is deeply embedded in their hearts. And if you will watch the way that they live, Watch how they react if somebody does them wrong. These philosophers who will stand up and say, there is no standard of right and wrong. There is no true evil. It's all just social construct theory or something like that. You watch their lives when somebody pulls out and cuts off them in traffic and tell me if they don't believe in right and wrong. They know it. 
God has placed it within us. Every person in this room knows that there's good and evil. We know it deep down, and we understand then why God is calling us to repentance, because God is good, and he must oppose evil. And those who will be on God's side are going to join him in that war. We are going to, we're going to oppose evil with everything within us. And brothers and sisters, that is repentance. That's what it ultimately is. Romans chapter 2 again, now verse 14. For when Gentiles, Paul says, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. In other words, even the people in the world that live the farthest from the revelation that, that God gave to Israel through Moses, they deep down inside had a conscience that had been informed by the light of Christ, and they knew that there was good and evil, and they also unfortunately knew that they had done evil. And that's the truth. Every person knows this because Christ has put this in our hearts. Let's itemize. What is it that we know? We know that perfection is a thing, and none of us are that thing, right? perfection as a concept we're perfectly well aware of we know that God and, and and closer to us we know that the son of God Jesus who became man knew no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth he never committed sin at all he's perfect we understand the concept of perfection but we all know about ourselves that that ain't us right we know that morally secondly we know that evil is real and even if it is sometimes hard to know exactly where the line is, we all know that some things are evil. There has never been a civilization anywhere on this planet that has not had some kind of system of law in order to guide people so that they would recognize that there's a line that they should not cross. And maybe many of the pagan and heathen civilizations that went out from Babylon were far away from the teaching of God's Word. Maybe they were wrong about a lot of things, but all of them knew that wrong was reality and that evil was real and they ought to be good. God has put that knowledge in every single one of us. We also know that we all do evil. We all do evil. You have done evil. And the only people in this room that haven't yet are those that are too young to be held accountable for it. But if by God's grace they live long lives, and I pray that they will, they're going to come face to face with their own evil. And at some time they're going to look into their own eyes in the mirror and they're going to see it in themselves. And that's a disappointing moment. But it is one that we all need to face because it's reality. And there are things that we've got to do about it. We know that God is perfectly good and that he wants us to be good as well. But you know, in order to actually repent and to embrace the will of God and the word of God to become the obedient people that we read about in the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 2, there's some stuff that we need to know. See, God has placed the basic moral framework in every single one of us so that nobody's got an excuse before God on judgment day. But there are some things that we need to learn in order to understand how to respond to God in a way that will please Him, in a way that will be acceptable to Him, in a way that will end with our sins being forgiven us so that we stand on judgment day ready to receive the reward of eternal life and not prepared to receive the, the uh, condemnation of hell. 
God has not left it to us to determine where the line is. If you're going to be a person who's going to respond to the gospel in repentance, and if you'll be saved by the gospel, it is absolutely essential that you do. The first thing you've got to learn is that God has not left it to you to determine where that line is. He has given us that knowledge in his special revelation, the Bible. And it has been written down for us, brothers and sisters, for, over 2000, for nearly 2,000 years. So the Bible is right there. You can get one for free. You can read it online in 50,000 languages. That's an exaggeration, but not much of one. Man, God has made his word available to everybody these days. All you got to do is open it up and read. And you will find the truth about good and evil, about right and wrong. And you will be guided very clearly by the inspired words of the Holy Spirit down the pathway of repentance that leads to eternal life. Thank God for the Bible. Thank God for his word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And so we ought to live. Listen, please, don't let this pass you by. We all ought to live perfectly biblical lives. That's what we ought to do, to live perfectly biblical lives. Truth be told, every single one of us should memorize the Bible I mean it. I don't have it memorized. But I'm just saying, I'm just going to, let's set the bar where it ought to be set. Not, let's not set it based upon where we are. Let's set it where it ought to be set. We all ought to be at least trying real hard to put the whole thing, not on the outside of us in this book form, but we ought to be trying real hard to put as much of it as we possibly can on the inside of our minds so that it can make our thought processes enlightened. So that it can give us the guidance we need when we're struggling with, with moral quandaries, with opportunities to do wrong, when we're trying to figure out the right path in difficult situations. How are we going to have the wisdom to go right and to shun wrong and to fight against evil with everything within us? Well, we got to know God's Word. And if you come to that fork in the road where the temptation is before your eyes and you don't know what the Word says about it, what are you going to do? You're just going to be lost. I don't know which way to go. And you'll have no excuse. Not if you've had even a couple of decades of life. It takes the average reader 90 hours to read the Bible. 90 hours. Again, brothers and sisters, there's no excuse. There's just none. We ought to live perfectly biblical lives, but we know we won't. Repentance is what we call that attempt, but I want you to see number four. The attempt is all that God requires. The attempt to live a biblical life, as faulty as your attempt may be, that alone is God's requirement with regard to repentance. In fact, if you do know what the Bible says, you will realize that the Bible teaches you that you will not be capable of completing this process on your own. There is too much evil and brokenness in you. But you must commit to the will of Jesus and continue fighting against temptation as long as you live. And if you will do that, he will save you. He will rescue from this body of sin. Read the end of Romans chapter 7 and you will see that that's true. But I, I don't want to leave the thought today without bringing to all of our attention that there is a deeper reason why God requires repentance of each one of us. He requires repentance because we are his sons and daughters. He is our father. 
And as we think about fathers on Father's Day, I think it's important for us to recognize that daddies in the home are being called to be, I I realize, it's just a really shallow, shallow representation. But we're called to demonstrate and to fulfill a godlike role in our families. Now, I do not mean that that means daddy sits on a throne in the living room and is, uh, has his feet being massaged by the kids and mama brings him a fresh glass of sweet tea every 30 minutes or so and uh, he doesn't need a remote because he's got kids and all that sort of stuff that some of you may remember uh, from past generations. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Although if you want to treat your husband and father that way, I will not rebuke you. It's about being a leader, a provider, a protector. It's about being the uncompromising source of truth, of righteousness, and of the discipline that flows from that. In those senses, daddy, husband, father, is supposed to represent God, or more specifically, as Ephesians 5 will tell us, he's supposed to represent then Christ to his family, as head of his family. And, and mama, wife, is to represent the church, and she is to respond to the leadership of her husband in a way that creates sort of, a, uh, of an object lesson, a, a life lived in illustration of the truth to any children that are blessed to be raised up in that family. But we are ultimately the sons and daughters of God. And that says absolutely the best thing that can possibly be said about the human race. You are God's son or God's daughter, and therefore he wants you to look up to him. And he wants you to be like him. He wants you to imitate him. Let me say it this way. He wants to be proud of you. He really wants to be proud of you. And if you will try to please him, Even if your attempt is no better than that poor publican who knew nothing to do other than beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. On judgment day, he will be proud of you. I trust that that means that there are some here that have a decision to make. But I want to close our thoughts by giving you the key to repentance, to successful sustained, lifelong repentance, which is the visible manifestation of faith that leads to eternal life. And that key is to be found in James 4, beginning in verse 6. Listen to this word from God. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, that parable, bring it to mind. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submit to him. That's the start. Yes, flowing from that, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But repentance is not primarily about a fight. And I think some preaching it that way have discouraged the saints. It is secondarily about the fight. It is primarily about allegiance. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You want to know the best way to get Satan the farthest from you if possible? Is it to fight him? Just fight him, fight him in your own power? I'm not telling you not to do that. 
But I'm saying that is not the best way to get Satan the farthest from you possible. The best way to get Satan the farthest from you possible is to get God the closest to you possible because that's not where the devil wants to be. And this is James' promise here. Yes, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts primarily so that your heart is exclusively your father's possession and you will no longer be double-minded. Do you need to make that initial change today? you do, this opportunity is yours. We're about to sing an invitation song. And as we do, if you are not a baptized believer and you understand what I'm talking about, you realize you've got sin in your life and you need to make right with God, you can respond by coming forward to the front during this song and we will talk to you about what you need to do if you haven't yet obeyed the gospel. We will baptize you today, this very hour. And this morning, if you are a baptized believer that you feel like you've not been living the life that Jesus would have you to live. Maybe, it's the day, maybe today's the day you get restoration. Maybe you're the one who comes forward today and says, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner, and he will. And if you need strength to continue to walk or there's some concern in your life you'd like our prayers for, would you please come as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.